The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they came together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The Gospel of the Lord. So we move now into these uh, last stages of Matthew's Gospel in our readings. And this is when, as we've said before and as we've seen before, uh, the kind of this work of the scribes and the Pharisees only intensifies against Jesus. So they come with greater and greater intensity uh, to try and eradicate Christ. And so it is this great tragedy that the very people who are supposed to facilitate the coming of the Messiah are the ones who are working most ardently in order to extinguish the light of the world. And so it is this tragedy that we see that those who think themselves to be righteous, they do not actually recognize the one who is the fulfillment of all righteousness. And so what happens here is it says that when the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, so we know in this time the scribes, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, they simply take turns in trying to trap Jesus. Eventually they will come together, these two groups who are opposed to each other, they will come together and they will begin working together. They will begin working together to achieve the end for which neither of them are supposed to be trying to achieve, which is getting rid of Jesus. Um, but they will work together for this, this end because of the malice that exists in their hearts. And it says here that they heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. The other tragedy is that other people, when they saw what happened and what Jesus did, it says they were filled with astonishment and amazement. And so while some are filled with amazement and astonishment, The Sadducees are simply silenced. And so one of the commentators, he points out something interesting. He says, when we lose that type of childlike spirit is when we cease to be astonished and amazed. So in a certain sense, they've killed that childlike spirit that we are called to. We're called to be like children. The kingdom of the heaven belongs to such as these, the Lord says. And so when we kill off that childlike spirit is when we lose that capacity for astonishment the astonishment that we know in childhood as everything is amazing, as all of these things are opened up to us, as the wisdom is opened up to us, uh, life is astonishing as a child. And so when that ceases to exist in our soul, in a certain sense we have lost a great capacity that needs to be refound. And so what happens here, the Pharisees now, they come together uh, to test the Lord and says one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, in order to test him. And so you can see that there is a, even in their own minds, a role reversal. Christ himself is the teacher, and their position should be that of disciple. And yet they come as teachers, and he is the one whom they assume should be their disciple, should be learning from them. 
So there is this, this role reversal which should not be happening. And it is also because they judge themselves to be righteous according to the law. So in terms of the fulfillment of the law, they see themselves as the fulfillment. And so again, because of that, they do not recognize the one, Christ himself, who is not only the fulfillment, he is also the author of the law. And so they do not recognize him because they think themselves to be these justified persons when in fact they are not. And so they come to the Lord and it says that they, to test him, ask him a question. As we've said before, this verb here, to test, was used first in Matthew's gospel by the devil in the temptations of Christ in the desert. And so that word to test is something that we see comes originally within the gospel context from the devil. And so there is this kind of spirit that still continues to float and to move around Christ, uh, inspiring all of this conflict around him. Um, and you can see that they are not under God's Holy Spirit, but they operate according to this other spirit. And so test him, he says, teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? Which is the great commandment of the law? They've been unable to catch Christ with regards to what he might say about Caesar. And so now they come to try and trap him according to what he might say about the law. The Lord responds immediately. His first words, you shall love, you shall love, right? So God who is love, who is now standing in their midst, who is present to them, he is the author of the law. And so as the author of the law, and because he is God who is love, Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law, but also according to our own perfection and the holiness that we are called to. We are called to be holy as the Heavenly Father is holy. That means we are called to be more and more like God, and God is love. Therefore, the perfect perfection of the law, the fulfillment of the law, is love. The more we increase in love, the more we become like God, which is the entire purpose of the law given to us. What we see in the first reading is that we can see that to act with love is, also, is always and has always been the purpose of the laws that the God gives. And so he speaks in Exodus to his people. And we see that when we move contrary to love is when eventually the justice of God steps in. And he warns his people. He warns them with regards to how they love one another. He says, you shall not wrong a stranger. You also shall not afflict a widow or an orphan. These types of descriptions of people are also the way in which we describe ourselves according to our relationship with God. We are strangers and pilgrims in this life. This is not our home. So what the Lord is saying is that when we treat someone else or when we have an encounter with someone else, we always need to see them in the light of our own relationship with God in terms of how he sees us. We are strangers and pilgrims according to God, and yet he treats us only with love and with compassion. He says also, you shall not afflict any widow and orphan because this is how he sees his people. Those who have cut themselves off from the spouse of their souls, which is God, are truly then in a certain sense widows. His people are widows because they are awaiting the return of a bridegroom. The death has come of the bridegroom, not on his part, but on theirs. We are also orphans, cut off from our Heavenly Father because of sin. And because of this, it needs a work of restoration and love and grace and healing. God works to bring us who are pilgrims into our own homeland with Him in eternity. God works in His love 
to reunite the widow with her bridegroom, and he does that through sending his son for our salvation, the bridegroom of our souls. God works always to take those who have been orphaned through sin and restore them to this life of grace with himself so that we are reunited with our Father in heaven. He is always love. His actions are always motivated by his being, who he is. God is love. And so then what he calls us to do is to imitate him in that perfection of love, to see others according to the way in which he sees us, so that when we encounter others, we should try to put ourselves in their position. In that way, we will act rightly, wanting to do for them what we would want done for ourselves. And so when this question is asked the Lord, what is the greatest commandment? He gives its summation and summary. You shall love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, saying completely, entirely, God is love. Therefore, everything in us should be animated by love. With all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind simply means with your whole being. This is so that we avoid the temptation of compartmentalizing our relationship with God in our life. He takes up this little space in my life on this day at a particular time. That's insufficient. The love of God needs to permeate every aspect of our life, all of our time, all of our day, all of our life, all of our thinking, all of our actions need to be done in the light of God and of his love. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We are not able to return the same type of love that God gives to us because he loves us while we are still sinners, while we are still undeserving of his love. God is always deserving of love. And so what he does is he gives us each other that we might practice love that is more like God's with relationship to us, that we can love those who are still our enemies in a certain sense that we can love those even who do not yet love us, that we can become like God in that love. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Christ himself is the fulfillment of that law as he stands before them. And even though they come to him in malice, these scribes and Pharisees, he still only returns love. He is always extending that invitation to conversion, that their hearts might expand, hopefully, in love, that their hearts might catch fire because of his words and his presence. So how do we do this in our own time? How do we increase in love when we might feel ourselves to be very lacking in love? Well, first and foremost, I think, ultimately, we turn to the Blessed Sacrament, which is called by the Church and by the saints the Sacrament of Love. Some of the saints and writers, they call Christ in the tabernacle the prisoner of love, that his love has in a, certain sense, in a certain sense imprisoned him here in our midst, that he is here in his love, which means in his divinity, and that that love of God is present to us so that we can come and spend time in his presence. As St. Thomas says, the closer we draw to the source, the more we become like the source. Just as you can take a log and you can hold it by fire, eventually it will catch flame. So also, the more we spend time in the presence of Jesus Christ, the more he will ignite within our hearts and in our souls love. And so the more that we spend time with Jesus, that is ultimately the best and the most effective way to increase in love. 
The more we spend time with him, the more we become like him. That then moment is also then culminated in terms of its intimacy at the moment of Holy Communion, when we receive that very fire of divinity present to us here, body, blood, soul, and divinity, and we receive that in, and him in the moments of Holy Communion. And then the God who is love is within us. His divine, his divine love present resting next to our own hearts and the weakness of our hearts. And in those moments of Holy Communion is when we pray to the Lord to be more deeply transformed, when he has given himself completely to us. It is in the Eucharist that we see what love is. It is in the gift of himself that we see what love actually is. Love doesn't count the cost. It simply has concern for the one who is receiving. And so the Lord who loves us completely gives himself to us completely in Holy Communion. In Holy Communion, the gift or the giving of God is exhausted. In a certain sense, there is, of course, nothing more that he could give us besides himself. And so as we contemplate this great mystery of the love that we are able to participate in here, we pray that this love may continually transform us, that we will become more and more Eucharistic in our life, more and more self-giving, more and more like the God who is love. Amen.